You know, we've been going through the book of John, which, uh, you know, if you're new to Scripture and new to the Bible, this really is the closest written account of one who walked on this earth with Jesus. Peter, James, and John, you find them everywhere in Scripture with Jesus. John, the writer of this book, would record for us this, this night, this Passover night in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and on into 17. That means he dedicated this, this gospel that he would write significantly to this night. It's a very personal account. Jesus really separated from the Sermon on the Mount. There's not much more discourse or, or written word. You, turn in your Bibles if you have a red letter, and all of these pages will be in red. Christ had a lot to say to these disciples that night. I think, <clears throat> this is hard to think about, but of all things how Jesus would start this night, I think it's just, it deserves the word amazing. Christ in chapter 13, remember just to reflect a little bit to get us up to speed for today, he would take up a towel, he would fill a basin with water, and he would kneel down like a servant before his disciples. Now, we can say that, maybe you've, like, I know that, I've heard that story, but I want you to think for a minute, that is the creator of the universe, Look out at the night sky and see the glory of all that God's created and see him wrapping a towel around his waist, bending down with a servant's bowl and washing his creation's feet. That deserves the word amazing. We claim a lot of things are amazing in this day and age. That is amazing. He would go on to tell the disciples about his glory. He talked about this great coming kingdom, a new covenant in his blood. You know what his disciples did? He thought about who'd be the greatest. Sound like you and me? God, I, I got to be the best. If you have children, you know. Give attention to one. What do they do? Oh, but dad and mom, I can do this so much better than them. They desired the glory themselves. See, they'd grown up with the prophecies of a Messiah. And to them, they thought this earthly kingdom would come here, that the rise of the Jews over the cultures around them would come to pass, and they wanted to be sure, wait a minute, when I'm in this kingdom, I'm the greatest, right? Christ would so tenderly, caringfully, show them the blindness of their self-righteousness and self-ambition. He would go on to tell them that he was going away. Very soon, he was going away. In fact, just hours after this, he would find himself making his way to the cross. And he told him this. He said, where I'm going, you can't follow. And, and as Pastor John, I'm telling you, if you weren't broken by this, if you didn't get excited about how great Jesus is, what did Peter do when he heard that? I'm not going to leave you. You're not going to have anybody take your life because I'm going to die before you. And what did Jesus say to him? Peter, your strength is not what you think it is. Your ability is not what you think it is. And if you do not embrace the strength in me alone, the forgiveness in me alone, the righteousness that comes from me alone, you're hopeless. But he would so lovingly and caringfully restore their hearts. They would claim to be, uh, have power on their own, but it was not there. And last week, and I remember singing many uh, songs in VBS and many songs that my mom would teach me growing up about being 
part of the vine. I won't, I won't break them out. We, we already had the singing time. But uh, about this, this idea of being connected to the vine. But I mean, think about that. Jesus Christ said, you as believers are entwined with me as real as the branches of a vine are, are tapped in to the main source of the vine. He would go on to explain that through this abiding in Christ, through this unending power that flows through the vine to the branches, that all joy and power and fruit and purpose for all of life would flow. But chapter 15, where we're going to start today in verse 18, we're going to look through uh, chapter 16, verse 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and make your way to John chapter 15. They'll also be up here on the screen for you. But in John chapter 15, verse 18, we see this shift. We see that this, this kind of big shift come along in what Jesus is going to talk about. He's used words like love, fulfillment, power, strength, glory. All these things have been what he's talking about. But today introduces the word hate. I'm telling you, there's, there's not much harsher word that we can have for somebody in life. I think about this again, not to put my kids on the spot, but it's just one as a parent. I can't use me as a child because I'm sure I said I hated my sisters at some point. But to see the heart of a, a dad look at one of his children and communicate the idea that I hate you, I can't think of anything worse. This is, a, this is a powerful word and a big shift. In fact, if you look through just these next section of verses, how many times Christ would use the word hate? It's something we have to pay attention to. So today, this morning, I hope briefly, um, I'll try to watch that for you. I want to just look at what are the areas of hate, of conflict with this world that are a reality for believers. So first today, we're going to look at the world versus the kingdom. And in so doing, let's, let's look at uh, John chapter 15, verse 18 through 19, and then John 16, 1 through 4. And Jesus said this, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you goes on to say in chapter 16, he'd say, I say these things that to keep you from falling away. And the, the word is really more closer from being shocked, from being surprised. That's the literal translation. But they who put you out of the synagogues, those religious leaders, indeed the hour is coming when he who kills you will think that he's offering a service to God. Now think about that just for a minute. That's saying everyone sitting in this room who would claim the name of Christ there is a day that Christ is talking about where people will kill you thinking they're honoring God. Go on to say, and they do these things. Why? Because they know not the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. This is heavy. This is, this is difficult to hear this morning, that the world will hate you. I don't think anybody wants to hear somebody hates you. I think some people have a level of care more than others, but nobody wants the idea of being hated. And it is difficult to hear. But in chapter 18, or verse 18 and 19, it's clear that we are hated. Why? Because we are not 
of this world. The world. Greek word is cosmos. You might have even heard of the cosmos being used. The opposite of the word cosmos is chaos, right? So to kind of put it in perspective, this idea of cosmos or the world is the orderly nature by which the, the world orients itself. You can think of this as, as its government systems. You can think of it as its rules and its ways. Um, you can think of it as kind of social norms. And ultimately, we, we, we often use this word of culture. But here's the true reality. Every culture on the face of man, on the face of this earth, since Genesis chapter 3, has been fallen, broken, cursed, and separated from a holy God. It is a kingdom whose ruler is Satan. This is what the Bible says. This is a kingdom at war with the kingdom of God. So what is the difference between these kingdoms? Just briefly, the kingdom of heaven is ruled by God Almighty. The kingdom of this world is ruled by Satan. The kingdom of heaven is about truth. The kingdom of this world is about lies. Kingdom of God, heaven, is about light. The kingdom of this world is about darkness. The kingdom of, the, of heaven is about God's glory. The kingdom of this world is about our glory. The kingdom of God, of heaven, is about God's will being done. The kingdom of this world is for us to say, do what you want. The kingdom of heaven ultimately leads and is part of eternal life. The kingdom of this world only leads one place, and that is death. This world hates you, listen to this, because you will not conform to its ways. You will not serve the kingdom that it serves. And it said, listen, because of this fight of the kingdom, because the world is always set against the kingdom, they will hate you because you won't be a part. I don't know if you've seen the picture of uh, Da Vinci's Last Supper, Christ in the center, the apostles spread to either side. And I don't know how we picture this event, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't look like that. Christ would find himself in a, in a tucked away upper room, I don't think he was reclined in, in the regalia of a da Vinci painting. But he found himself sitting with his disciples. Ultimately, they would walk that night to the Garden of Gethsemane. But as, as Christ would look at his disciples and say these words that we're talking about today, he wasn't speaking philosophically. He wasn't being metaphoric about hatred of the world. You know, it, this wasn't a thought experiment Hey guys, let's, let's play what if right now. What if the world hates you? What are we going to do? It was prophetic. See, that night, the men around this table, in a period of just a few years to, in some cases, decades, would learn the gravity of the hatred for the kingdom. James, first to be recorded in Scripture, would be run through with a sword. I want you to think about that. We read stuff like that and we say, yeah, that's what happens in the Bible. There's lots of swords, lots of people being beheaded. I want you to imagine that right now, one of us in here run through with a sword because we claim the name of Christ. We would go on to find that Peter and Andrew would be nailed to wooden crosses and crucified as Jesus. Bartholomew 
would have his flesh torn off of his body. And if, because that wasn't enough, they would then take his body and nail it to a cross and crucify him. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded. Thomas, the one we refer to as Doubting Thomas, doubted no more, took the gospel, went to the Gentiles, and you know what they did to him for doing it? They ran him through with spears because he was fighting against the pagan worship in the area. The Christians have followed the same pattern. Nothing has changed. In the next 300 years, they would face deep persecution. Paul, whose missionary journeys is largely responsible for why we're here today. Paul would find himself taken to Rome, held captive, and ultimately beheaded, his head cut off for his belief. His apprentice, son in the faith, Timothy, would find himself beaten and broken as a mob worshiping a false goddess Diana would pick up stones and beat him until he died. In the 300 years, we saw emperors come and persecute the most notably Nero, who would take Christians and as for sport and entertainment, would haul them into arenas, let loose wild animals, and watch them be ripped limb from limb. They would watch as he would tie chariots to their arms and legs and watch them dismembered. We would find that he would go about mass persecution and crucifixions. And probably most notably, history records that he would light his garden at night with the burning bodies of believers. The world has not changed, but I don't have time to give you 2,000, and you're lucky, to give you 2,000 years of history of what this has looked like. But we got to see there's a kingdom of God. There's a kingdom of this world. They are at war. You know, we find that today, uh, last century alone, if you you go by uh, studies, they'll, they'll say about 26 million people died because they claimed Christ and wouldn't reject him. Today, it's estimated that more than 100 million people live around this world in severe persecution for their faith. Those true Christ words, you know what they said is, look, they're going to think they're doing something good by doing this. And isn't that true? All we have to do is look to the Jews, to the synagogue. They, they thought it was good to throw the Christians out. Today we find militant Islam persecuting Christians. We find radical Hinduism think they're offering service by persecuting Christians. We find that communistic atheism The sense of throwing off God will persecute Christians thinking it's for the good of mankind. But listen to this and hear me carefully. Every false religion, every godless society, every culture, including our own, is ruled by the kingdom of this world and Satan himself. It feels so strange as an American Christian to talk about this stuff. Because I'll be honest, in my 40-some years, I've not experienced this. I've not had a loved one dragged from my home because we claimed Christ. I've not had somebody that I know closely beheaded, tortured. I read about them. I see them on websites. I can try to relate to a culture. And so we say to ourselves, Why? Why is it like this here where we live? 
Well, partly because our nation was founded on something called Christendom, which is a 400-year experiment or so in our nation that said we're going to build a society and a culture based upon uh, principles and a system of government around things found in Scripture. Often you'll hear this referred to as Judeo-Christian values, right? Anybody heard that before? Judeo-Christian values. Just to give you a couple of what, what they are, again, this is not a definitive list, but it's a culture that says, you know what, there's an innate value to human life. Therefore, we're going we're gonna to ascribe laws that, that are against murder. We're going we're gonna to set up a system that says life is owned by an almighty and we don't have the right to take it. There's a sanctity of life. It values, uh, the system of values valued the traditional home. A man and a woman would marry to raise children in a complete environment. There's a sense of a national work ethic driven by the idea that we've been given a task and a purpose to accomplish, again, with, a, with, an, with a, uh, an understanding of an almighty. There was a, a fight for God-centered education. There was an idea of a promise of a redemptive work of God among people. There's a sense of common decency. Right, If you're of a certain age, every school that you were in posted the golden rule. This idea of loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And ultimately, there was this idea that we as a nation, founded upon these principles, are personally accountable to an almighty. Right, Even all of our money, take out any legal tender that you have, and somewhere printed on that bill or, in, or stamped into that coin are the words, what? In God we trust. Now we could say that is far from true. We can say that the founding principles of our society were we don't trust in the things of our hand, but we trust in an almighty. But this has caused in our nation to grow a culture of Christianity. This idea that church has an importance. You know, and even if, if the world is not attenders faithfully, there's kind of three events that you revolve around. When you're born, you're taken, maybe dedicated, maybe sprinkled. Some activity happens to honor the birth of a child. And maybe when there's this union of a man and a woman, a marriage, they return to the church, and they know that that union is under God. And then as death would come, we return to churches to be buried. So the pattern becomes birth, marry, bury. We go on to find the society just gets into this rhythm of culturally identifying. It, it has a sense of morality. There was a sense of God, but it was really just a nod to the Almighty. Beginning in the 1960s and 70s, although scholars will, will, will argue, was a counterculture, right? Some of you lived that, right? Maybe some of you were a part of it, right? Of this countercultural revolution. And the idea was this, we're going to throw off this Judeo sense of value. We're going to get rid of that because we think it's dangerous to society. And what started as an undercurrent has now grown to the mainstream. I promise you this is a true story. I was talking with my dad this week. Uh, in fact, Thursday night, I was calling him. And <laughs> man, it's amazing to have a dad that I can talk to about this stuff. And praise the Lord for that. But we were talking about this scripture and about things. And he said, son, don't you realize what's happened in your lifetime? And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, uh, so he was, a, he was a school student in the 1950s and 60s. He graduated high school in 1965. 
And he said, John, my senior year, my senior year of high school, every day we would go into school and Mr. Brown would lead in Bible reading. You'd have your name on a list and you'd find your place and you would, you'd go apart reading the Bible. And then somebody would stand up and give a prayer. And then there was a pledge of allegiance with particular emphasis on one nation under God. Well, fast forward to my years, high school in the 90s, which is getting farther by the day, and do you think I started each day with prayer? No. Do you think there was a Bible reading? No. Bible might have been read in part of an English class or a literature class as some work of you know, mythology like the rest of, you know, right next to uh, the story of, uh, of the Greek gods. But the, even the Pledge of Allegiance was optional, especially the under God part, because it's starting to feel like that's offensive to people. Now fast forward today where these guys sit in public school, where my own children sit and your children sit in public schools, and realize that in this generation you can be openly punished and persecuted for simply carrying a Bible into school. Utter a prayer and watch what happens to the culture and the world around you. We find that there may be uh, the Ten Commandments have been torn down. Listen to what Christianity has been called. Judgmental, intolerant, and dangerous. And in fact, it's dangerous to a system of learning to an educated society. This cultural shift we're talking about has happened in less We're in approximately 50 years. That's it. So what are we to do? Are we today to long to go back to when society, where we were in fashion and in favor? Should we run and progress and say, look, we've got to progress to where this society, we've got to throw off elements of of our, our faith that are causing this offense from the world. We need the world with us. And the call in Scripture here is to recognize that our call is not to work on the horizontal planes of the earth's kingdom and culture. We are citizens of a different kingdom. We are about bringing that kingdom through God's love down to the cultures of this world. Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 says this. Paul would write, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Philippians 3 verses 18 through 20 says this, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their destruction, the end is their, uh, destruction, sorry, their God is their belly, their glory is their shame, their minds are set on earthly things, but Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 19 says this, So so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Today we realize there are only two kingdoms, and we are called to be the salt and light from the kingdom of God to a lost and dying world. The next thing the world hates, moving on from the kingdom, is the world is verse the Christian themselves. Jesus would go on to say in Matthew, sorry, John chapter 15, verse 20, remember the words that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're also going to persecute you. If they kept my words, they will also keep yours, but all these things they do to you 
on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. That's what Jesus is saying is, look, I came down from heaven, not a part of this world, to shine the light and the glory, to take up all that is and to reside with man. And into the cultures of this world, I brought truth. I revealed myself to them in my words and in my deeds that I am God. And the thing is, it's not that it wasn't clear who he was. It's simply they were clearly in rebellion. Here's how it works. The culture is going to tell you, conform to us or be punished. Conform or be punished. Now, this punishment can come in many different ways, overt, covert. A few years ago, I had, uh, actually quite a few years now, I had an opportunity to do some mission work in Haiti. And uh, we we made our way over there, and for those of you who have been there, we started in the the capital city of Port-au-Prince, and I, I asked somebody where we were going, and they said, it's, oh, it's about 45 miles outside the city, which I thought, oh, that's not bad, maybe, you know, hour drive or so. Seven and a half hours later, we uh, arrived after traveling roads that, uh, that's, that's a really loose term to call them roads, and if, if you've been there, you know. Um, we arrived in, in a mountain city at a, a little orphanage there that had about, about 50 kids, and uh, we pulled up with our bags of stuff, you know, like, like we do on, on missions, little toys and trinkets. And uh, we got out, and the kids are running around. They're excited. They're happy, really just to see these, these Americans that have kind of showed up. You know, that doesn't happen every day. And uh, began to look around, and I, and I did. I just happened to notice this, this 16-year-old girl. She seemed kind of older than the rest of the kids running around. And I honestly seemed more like one of the caretakers, but the caretakers were all kind of adults that uh, were married. And uh, so I began to talk with them about this, this young girl. And I've been to, you know, just kind of hear about her story. And I realized this was no ordinary 16-year-old. About six years prior at the age of 10, she'd showed up at vacation Bible school. <laughs> you know, an activity that, that a lot of 10-year-olds around our nation do. She showed up at a vacation Bible school. And she began to feel the weight of her sin. And God, through his glory, through the power of his Holy Spirit, quickened her heart. She repented and accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. This young girl would go home to a family so excited to tell them about what had just happened in her life. The problem for her is her dad was part of the voodoo worship of her culture. In fact, he was a prominent guy in the voodoo worship. <clears throat> it's hard to think about, but that dad would take his daughter <clears throat> out into the jungle And in violence, he would beat her so severely that he thought he had killed her. And as she laid there broken and bleeding, he would walk away, rejecting her ever as his child. Now, miraculously as it seems, she was able to crawl out of that position. She was able to make her way to this orphanage. And they loved her, they cared for her, they nursed her wounds. But listen to this. What is it that God hated? Was it his daughter? Yes, but it was Jesus Christ in his daughter. 
It was the name of Christ which she proclaimed. It was an identity shift that I am not a child of this world. I'm one who's separated. I'm a part. I'm no longer part of this culture and this system. I reject it. And for that, she was met with violent persecution. Now today, I pray that day never comes for one of my children, your children, or our society. But here's the thing. We face all kinds of persecution. We go into an office, a college student, take your Bible into class and start talking about Jesus. Right? I'm not talking about wear a bracelet hidden under six layers of clothing. I'm talking about let it be known that you set your identity in Christ and watch how the world responds to you. Go into the workplace. Say that you're going to live differently. I'm going to choose because of the love of God in me. I'm going to honor him. I'm going to make my life about his glory and see what happens. It'll cost you financially. It's going to cost you socially. It may cost you relationships with family. How many of you have gone into families who say something like this? Now you think you're better than me? You think you're better? You got this Jesus stuff to help you get through. Now you think you're better than me? We face this in a real and true way. We have to understand this. Please listen carefully. If we live for the love of the world, we will endure the wrath of God. But if we will live for the love of God, we will endure the wrath of the world. Now listen, you can pick your love, but you're going to pick your wrath. Sometimes this is surprising to us, especially because of the culture background we come from. And I imagine it like this. Can you imagine signing up for a military unit? And you're called, you're activated. You go into to, to the battle, and you start looking around like, what's all this hate about? Why is everybody hating on us, man? Like, we just showed up over here, and they're, they're like shooting at us. How crazy would that be to walk into an environment where there's open warfare and be confused by what you see? Yet if we're honest, that's where we live every day. We, we can't understand why we're getting treated this way. Why is it like this? Why do they hate Christians? It's because the way of the world is against God as an identity. So we find ourselves at times trying to be the double agent. By double agent, I mean this. It's somebody who tries to grab and benefit from two sides of a conflict. Right? These are always depicted as the rat, you know, kind of personality in movies, the one who would, you know, steal from one and steal from the other and try to eke out a life. And we go about trying to satisfy this, our Christian life, by this double minded nature. I'm not talking about somebody else, I'm talking about me. I walk into a building and I wait for it to be confirmed is, is it safe to talk about being a Christian? You know, can I let that out on the table? Oh, and then somebody says, well, I went to church. Oh, you go to church? Yeah, I go to church too. Yeah, this is great. Knowing that our call is not to hide away who we are, not to hide our identity, but to live in the public square, in the places that God would have us, knowing this, they're going to tell you the Bible is intolerant, bigoted, oppressive, hate speech. If your Christianity is based on culture alone, what you will say is, no thanks, no thanks, I want to go back when Jesus was in fashion. I want to go back when being a Christian was, 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 was applauded. But I don't want this version of Christianity where the world is against me. The world will say things to you like this. You are unloving. And you'll come to the world and you'll say, I'm here to bring the deepest love of all. People will say you hate people. You hate who they are. You say, no, I'm here to share God's love. 
say you're against people and you say, look, I'm going to love people even when it costs me. And to, the, and to that question of you think you're better than me, I think every one of us who've been convicted in our hearts by the Son of God through the Holy Spirit of who we really are, you would say, if you only knew who I was, if you only knew who I was, you would know like I do that the only grace, the only mercy, the only goodness in me is from God alone. True believers, ultimately the the believer is hated, but the world is really against the Lord's. The world versus the Lord. Let's continue reading. John chapter 23. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done these things among, sorry, if I, had, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have seen and they have hated what? Both me and my father. But the word is written in their law that their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. You know, the culture Christian says this. There's just got to be a way. There's just got to be a way to get this world to love us. We got to find a way for the world to be happy about what we're doing among them. You know, we got to strip off some things. We got to we got to figure out a way to to fit in. But listen to this: if Jesus Christ Himself would come into this world, perfect, sinless, with the love of God, as and fulfilling God's will as His purpose, and they would crucify and reject Him, the servant is not greater than his master. At its heart, what is it that the world rejects about the Lord? What is it the world doesn't like about the Lord? It says this, I'm going to have no authority above myself. You know, for us, we felt that tension. I, I, can, I can relate to that. I know times in my heart and my life that I've looked for no authority but what I want to do. And there's a part of my sinful nature that would rail against the Lord and say, you're not going to have your way. And the world raises its fist up to the Lord and his authority and say, you will not have authority over me. They want to go on to say, look, I'm a good person. Essentially, in the heart of hearts, I'm a good person. I'm independent. I'm, a, I'm, I'm right, and you have no right to judge me. In an amazing turn of events, the world would turn on the Lord and put the Lord on trial. Today, the trial of Jesus Christ has not stopped. From the moment before his persecution to now, the world puts Christ on trial. And it says, you will not have authority over me. And they hate it. They want to get rid of it. They want to throw it off. The mantra of the world is this, you do you. You do you. Just don't hurt anybody else. We all know how well that works. But Christ says, You repent of you and do Christ. You see how simple that is? You repent of you and do Christ. The call of the kingdom of God is this. His authority in your life first is to experience the forgiveness of God that is through Jesus Christ alone. That he would be your ultimate authority. The one who you yield and kneel your will before The call of the heavenly kingdom of our Lord is to have your old nature, everything about you, removed away that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would raise up a newness of life. And ultimately, it's to establish in your hearts an allegiance to the kingdom of God. 
And establish, listen to this, your highest value is not the tolerance of sin, but the repentance from it. Today there is the idea of the culture Christian who wants to go back to the good old days. And when I say we have been given freedom in our nation to vote and to, and to have a, an influence in our culture and praise God for all that would take up that mantle and do so. But listen to me. The cultures of all this world are ruled by this world. And our hope is not in our culture. Our culture can never change a sinner's heart into a believing, saved through the grace of God alone. One, neither is it for us to progress forward, leave behind the shackles of history, you know, unfettered from any sense of allegiance to God. We'll just strip those things off. You heard a prayer like this? Oh, we'll pray to this almighty being who really has no power and offends no one. You know, how many work prayers are like that? You know, these empty things. Maybe if we pray like that, then they'll accept us. No, the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ alone. Knowing that this, that the only thing, the only hope of all mankind is the precious name of Jesus Christ. This is hard to talk about because I feel the hypocrisy of my own heart when I think about how is this even possible? That's great. You know, I, I could play this back and I think, John, what you just said is all true. What am I supposed to do about that? What am I supposed to do with what you just said? Let's read as Jesus would, would, would say in Matthew, or sorry, John chapter 15, verse 26 or 27. He says this, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness about me because you have been with me from the beginning. Oddly enough, the word for witness in that verse is literally the same word translated martyr. What he says is, look, there's no difference in this chapter. I didn't go from, from the first part of chapter 15, talk about the abiding power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the grafted precious fruit that I grow for those that would be connected to the vine. It's all the same thing. He says, look, I'm telling you the truth about how, what's going to happen in this world, but know this, I know you are not strong. I know you can't do it. Listen to the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, uh, starting in verse 5. But listen to this, for we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give light and knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but don't despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus Christ so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Today the call for the true believer is to say, look, I don't have the power, God. But you in me does. And I'm going to choose to walk away from this world. I'm going to choose to leave it behind. I'm going to leave my cultures behind. 
Now listen, the heart of a missionary will go into a culture, understand it, and will relate to the people at a cultural level. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is to get the world system to love us is not our goal. Our goal is through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring down to this world the only saving name of Jesus Christ. I looked at that young girl of 16 years old, <laughs> and i got to say, I, w- I was raised in church. I think I literally was nearly born in a church. Every church Sunday, I'd sit in a little pew with a bag of Cheerios because my mom thought for me to go to a children's service, I wouldn't get enough you know, seriousness about what the church event was. So I couldn't even go to children's church. That explains a lot of, about me. Um, I was there every time the doors were open, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, prayer meetings, youth events, youth conferences. And I looked at that, that little 16-year-old and I thought, she's got something. <laughs> she's got something different. How can this girl who's been rejected by the world have the strength to praise and worship. And guys, if you could have seen her face, and this is not lifting her up, this is lifting up our name of Jesus Christ. That young girl just like me, a broken jar of clay filled with the Holy Spirit. So remember today, we are not of this world. But our goal is to identify with the kingdom of Christ. And in all things we do, to usher his glory through love for those around us. The world and the people in it are not our enemies. They are the captives. And through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, he will give us the love for people. And our response to the hatred that we find from the world is the same as it was from Christ, a self-sacrificing, all-consuming love. Let's pray. Dearly Father, I'm completely undone by your words of truth this morning. God, I see within my heart a desire to to be liked. God, a desire for the world to to, uh, approve of me. God, I know that that, uh, we're going to find it very hard in our lives if we we fear man and we seek their approval. God, the call today in our lives and in our hearts, God, is that we would confess you as our Lord. God, we wouldn't shrink back from the hatred that comes from this world. But God, we would embrace the truth of the gospel in each and every moment of our life. Knowing God that through all things, the only power that comes into our jars of clay is the power of the Holy Spirit. Commit this to your name, God. I pray that your word be honored. We love you and thank you for all you do for us. In your name I pray.